The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Today is uh, my son's third birthday, uh, Maxim, and so if you see him, make sure you wish him happy birthday. All um, gifts, uh, we accept cash, not checks, and uh, well, we can, but uh, from certain people. And uh, anyway, you can, I'll collect those, um, and if you're like, who's Maxim, I've never met your son, just look for the cutest kid out there, all right, and that's that's him, and I'm, I'm sorry, I see some people pointing at themselves, that's weird, you're not cute, uh, but Anyway, uh, so, so definitely, just don't forget that, would you please? Uh, we're doing a series called Childish, and I'd like to talk about uh, when I was in college, um, I took a Greek class, and most of what I remember from the Greek class is that it started at 8 a.m., and I rarely went. Um, but my professor had something that he always um, said, and he had a banner hanging in his office, and it was this, context is the message, context is the message. And uh, I'll, I'll give you some examples of what that means. Like in sports, for example, a word, the meaning of a word, a word has no meaning without context. It completely changes depending on the context. Like in sports, a, a pitch in soccer would be the field. A pitch in baseball would be what the pitcher throws, right? Or like, let's say uh, you just recently broke up with your girlfriend and she calls you to tell you that she loves you. Well, that's nice. But what if the context is you just won the lottery, right? Not so nice, right? Or maybe Maybe the context is you're trying to train, potty train your child, and they run up to you and say, Daddy, I pooped in the potty. That's nice. Well, what if the context is you're in Home Depot? You get what I'm saying, right? And so the context is the message. And I, the, the, the thing that's important for us to remember with that is that so many times when we take things out of context, we're forcing our meaning onto something. We're forcing a meaning onto something that it was never meant uh, uh, to, to convey. It was never meant to communicate. And that's important to remember when we go to the Word of God. And I think one of the reasons we forget the context is the message is because sometimes we're just intellectually lazy. And, and what, what I mean by that is I'm not being tested on it. No one's, no one's running up to me uh, and saying, quick, uh, pop quiz on the book of Jeremiah, right? And no one's doing that to you. And so, like, sometimes when you open the word, we can just be lackadaisical. And, and a lot of times we just wait and, and we open it and we hope that, that, you know what, I can read a verse and it'll jump off the page and it'll mean something to me. And so, like, we'll read Love Your Neighbor as Yourself and we'll go, well, that makes sense to me. All right, got my Jesus, my happy Jesus thought for the day. I can move on. And then we'll come across something where Jesus says something crazy, like, you have to hate your father and mother or you're not worthy to follow me. And we go, well, that's difficult. I don't know what that means. Where's that love your neighbor part again, right? I like that one better, right? And so, so it's, it's harder for us to do that work, to do that mental work. And today, this next collection of verses, as we look at Matthew 18, are difficult. There, there, there's, some, there's some difficult verses, and we need to remember that the context is the message. And I've heard this, this, this passage that we're about to cover used so many different ways, and, and, and I think used inappropriately so many different ways. And, and the reason why, again, is that the context is the message. So let's worship God today together, if you would, by using our minds, and let's do the hard work. And I think that our, our reward will be rich. I think the Lord will, will forever, could forever change our community of believers could forever change some people in this room if we do this hard work today so so let's do it turn to Matthew 18 turn to Matthew 18 chapter 
10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seats, right? The little white Bibles, you can follow along there. And if you, don't, if you want to take that with you, that's our gift to you, all right? You touched it. I'm not sure if you wash your hands, so take it with you, all right? That is our gift to you, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, if you remember, this is the third week in our series of Childish. Uh, the first week we talked about having a childish humility, verse 1 through 4, right? Leaning into the Lord like a child would lean into their father, right? Completely dependent upon God. And then we looked at verse 5 through 9 last week, talking about childish temptations. Don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. Don't lead them into sin. Don't be a stumbling block, but instead be uh, a stepping stone to Jesus. We talked about how egregious that is to cause one another to sin. And so uh, this week, we're moving on to childish confrontation. Look at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read this passage together, and then we're going to go back together and, and break it down. Look at uh, beginning verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if the two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Let's, let's, uh, let's break this down together. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Again, little ones is, is our brothers and sisters. These are people who are followers of Jesus. We are his little ones. And this word despise, it's so harsh, right? In the Greek, it literally means scorn or disregard or, or devalue or, or looking down upon somebody with hostility. This is such a, a harsh word. And, and it makes me think about being a little one and growing up with my brother and sister. And, and I'll be honest, as a kid, the first time I met my sister, who actually happens to be here today, the first time I met my sister when she was a baby, I hit her, all right? There might have been a time in our life when we were growing up where I tried to convince her that she was going blind. There might also have been a time in our life where I I cut the tip of her finger off, all right? And listen, I might have thrown my brother against the wall more times than a racquetball hits the wall, right? I'm, those things might have happened. But when I hear this word despise, like despise little ones, when it all comes down to it, I'm their brother, right? And to despise, to scorn, to look down on them in hostility, it's, it's inconceivable, and, and so what in the world would cause us to despise our brothers and sisters in Christ? What in the world could possibly do that? The context is what? The context is the message. Thank you. Three people are awake. All right. The context is the message. Fantastic. Let's look at the context. Go back to verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it's necessary that temptations come. But what? Woe to the one by whom the temptations come. So the Lord says, woe to the one by whom the temptations come. So if a brother or sister causes you to sin, if they sin against you, the Lord says, woe to them. 
All right, so it's egregious, it's a big deal. And so it seems reasonable for me to take it a step further and to despise them for that. To look on them with scorn, to devalue them, to look down on them with hostility because they've sinned against me. That makes sense, doesn't it, right? Like that seems like the logical next step, but the Lord says don't. He says don't do that. Don't despise your brothers and sisters. And do we? Absolutely. When someone sins against us, what, what do we do? We, we gossip, right, or, or we avoid them, or, or we exclude them from other things. And what does the Lord say? Don't do that. Don't do that. And, and why? Why do we do it? I, I mean, sinfulness, pride, we hold grudges. I, I think another reason we do it, which is really messed up, is I think it's our attempt at righteousness. Does that make sense? We attempt to do the right thing. Like this person is, is wronged me. There's something like in them that that's, they, they did something sinful and, and that grieves the Lord. And, and so I'm just going to push them away and I'm just going to keep my distance. And, and, and we take it too far. And if nothing else, maybe this verse will help us understand that even in, as regenerated uh, followers of Jesus, we are new creations. He is still the source of our righteousness. Do you understand? We still need to lean into Him. At our best, our righteousness becomes filthy rags. And this is a great example of it. But the Lord says, don't despise them. Why? Well, He gives us reasons in these next few verses. So He gives us four reasons not to despise our brothers and sisters. Number one... Their sonship is intact. Their sonship is intact. Verse 10, For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So though they may have grieved the Lord as they sinned against you, they're still ministered to by the noblest of beings. Look at that. Their angels see their Father in heaven. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they, that's angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So though they've grieved the Lord, they're still the Lord's children. Though, though they've, gre- they, they've sinned against the Lord, they've sinned against you, though they've done wrong, they're still the Lord's child. And we talked about that last week, that your children can grieve you, but does that at all put in jeopardy their sonship or the fact that they're your daughter? Absolutely not. And the same here. And, and is this not a praiseworthy truth? It, it should not at all make us run quickly to sin. You know, should I sin more that grace should abound? Not at all, okay? Forbid that. As we discussed last week, the consequences of sin and the discipline of our Father is not something to scoff at. However, this should be a solid joy for us to hold on to. That when the enemy whispers in your ear, you're not good enough, or, or you, there's no way you could be his, then you can say back, you know what, I'm not good enough, but he's good enough for me. And Romans 8, 1, it's true that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is a solid joy for us to hold on to. So their sonship's intact. Secondly, they're pursued by the Lord. Look at verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain to go in search of the one that went astray? The Lord doesn't write us off when we sin. He pursues us. Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Like a loving earthly father, if your child rebels against you, what's the most loving response? To write them off and, and to let them... Uh, continue to, to create distance between you and them? Or what's more loving? To pursue them with discipline and correction. Right? So the Lord pursues them. He pursues his stray sheep. Praise God he pursues us. I, where would you be? Seriously, where would you be? 
If the Lord allowed you to stray, where in the world would you be? I shudder to think. Praise God that he pursues the stray sheep. Number three, the Lord takes great joy in them. Look at verse 13. If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. I love this truth that I can put a smile on the Lord's face. He's sitting on his throne and I can put a smile on his face just simply over obedience. He rejoices over my obedience. John Piper says it much better than I ever could. He said, our obedience is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. This is good news because it means very simply that the command to obey is the command to be happy in God. The commandments of God are only as hard to obey as the promises of God are hard to believe. The word of God is only as hard to obey as the beauty of God is hard to cherish. And we, we get this understanding from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. You don't believe that God delights in your obedience? Check this out. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than, that, than the fat of rams. So the Lord delights in our obedience. It's incredible. Look at, look at the fourth reason not to despise our brothers and sisters. The Lord willed them to life. Look at verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The Lord willed them to the narrow road. The Lord willed them to the path of righteousness. How dare we despise them or even push them or direct them or allow them to go on the wide road when the Lord died to bring them onto the narrow road. Another way of saying that, the Lord has called them to life. We can't ever look at our brother and sister and say to heaven hell with you because the Lord has called them literally to life. So the Lord's given us four great reasons, right? Four great reasons um, to, to not despise our brother and sister. Can, can I give you one more? And, and truly it's from the Lord, all right? Like if, if, if I was like, hey, can I give you some wisdom from Grant? Like that's worth, uh, I don't know, nothing, all right? It's not. But this is truly from the Lord, I think. And here's the fifth reason not to despise them because to despise them is to despise yourself. This is despise yourself. This is all of us. We all fall. We all stray. This is all of us. We can't, none of us can say, hey, I'm the good sheep. All right? You know what I mean? I shear myself. Like, I hang out right next to the shepherd. I've never, ever, this is all us. And our pride quickly, quickly tricks us. And it quickly allows us to lose perspective. If, if you don't pray, then, then there's something wrong with you. You're a sinner. Do you remember when you didn't pray? You remember when you didn't know how to pray? How quickly you forget. Or, or, I can't believe he talks to his family that way. His, his anger is out of control. Well, what about you? May, do you lead your family well? When was the last time you even talked to your family, right? And so, so we quickly lose perspective and forget. We've all strayed. This is all us. How quickly we lose perspective. Like Mr. Magoo in a house full of mirrors. It's ridiculous, right? We quickly lose perspective. And remember, Matthew six fifteen. Jesus says, If you don't forgive others... Neither will your Father forgive you. And so I want you to, to hear me today. If this is you, when I say stray sheep, you immediately are like, okay, i got to be honest, that's me right now. All right? Like, I am out there. I've, I've wandered, all right? Like, I am away from the shepherd. I can't even hear his voice anymore. If this is you, remember, God still delights in you. God pursues you. You say, how do I know God pursues me? You're here today. He brought you here today. You're hearing my words right now. God's pursuing you right now. 
And for you to be obedient, to turn and be obedient, would delight him. Isn't that incredible? There's a lot of things I'd like to do today. I think we're going to the Delta Fair, so I'm going to sweat 80 pounds of liquid out of my body, right? Like, I'm going to go eat lunch. I probably need to mow my lawn, but I think the Lord might call me not to do that today. There's so many things I want to do today. You can bring pleasure to the God of the universe today with your obedience. And you say, there's no way. I've gone too far. I've run too far. I've ignored him for too long. He hasn't ignored you. As long as you've been running, he's been running. He's right here with you. He's pursuing you. And your obedience can put a smile on the face of the king of kings. It's incredible. If we want to be like Jesus, then we need to see our brothers and sisters like Jesus does. And we have to respond to them like Jesus does. What does Jesus do when they go astray? What does he do? Look at verse 12. He goes after them. He doesn't sit there and go, I, I never liked that one anyway. I got 99, right? Like, this is pretty good. 99 of 100 is pretty good, right? Like, no, no, no. He goes after them, so we have to as well. So in love for his bride as a whole and his love for each one of his sheep, Jesus has graciously given us guidelines uh, for dealing with conflict with our brothers and sisters. So don't forget his motivation. His motivation is, is his love for his bride as a whole and, and for his sheep. I, I remember a lot of times growing up, I thought my parents were just trying to get uh, us to, to get along and, and for us not to kill each other um, so that their lives would be easier and so that like it wouldn't age them as badly, right? And it seems to have worked. Mom, you look great. Dad, you, you're here. So anyway, uh, it, it, you know, I, I used to think like it was kind of a selfish motivation. The Lord's motivation is not that. His motivation is for his glory, right? Which is also for what? Your joy. It's for your joy. So remember the Lord's motivation in this. He's not trying to say, would you just get along? I just need you to get along. It's for our joy that he commands us uh, to reconcile. So don't get confused in that. Jesus wants to protect our unity, not only for his glory, but ultimately for our joy as well. So there are four steps he gives us in dealing with conflict here. Number one, private confrontation. Private confrontation. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. This is so countercultural, by the way. I love technology. Um, I, I absolutely do. If, if there's anything that's, that's any type of a gadget whatsoever, right? Like if you're like, hey, you can buy this toilet paper for a dollar. You can pay $20 for this toilet paper. It has GPS in it. I'm going to buy it, all right? Like I just, I love technology. And one of the things I, I love uh, 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 to use a lot is, is Twitter, uh, if you don't know what, what Twitter is, I just, I don't know what's wrong with you. But anyway, look up Twitter. Twitter is a social networking thing where you can kind of send out what we call them tweets. And you just send out like a message. And, and so like, you know, the, the world reads all your stupid thoughts. And, and you can read other people. And so um, Twitter's amazing. Um, because you can communicate with people that before you never could communicate with. Literally, there are celebrities on, on Twitter and you can tweet at them. You can send a message to them and they'll respond. Um, I've talked to my favorite Tennessee Titan. I've literally talked to him back and forth on, on Twitter. I've uh, sent messages to uh, some of my favorite athletes of all time, uh, uh, to, to other celebrities and things, people I never had a chance of talking to before. It's, it's incredible. It's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. And um, the other night, we were trying to order Pizza Hut. 
Um, and uh, as we were trying to order Pizza Hut, we tried several times on the computer, and it, and it kept messing up. Their app on the phone kept messing up and messing up. So finally, the app said, hey, we're stupid. Call us uh, and just order from on the phone. And I was like, oh, I hate doing that. I don't want to talk to people. So uh, anyway, I'm a pastor. I don't do well with people. What? So I, so I called the number. And I told her what was going on. I was like, look, I've tried this four different times. And would you please just, I just want pizza. How hard is this? Just give me pizza. So uh, she said, well, what do you want? And so I, I read her the deal off of the app. I said, this is the, the deal I want. I want this the pizza and all this other stuff. And she said, um, oh, well, that's an online deal. You can't get that over the phone. And I said, well, your app told me to call you. And get this deal over the phone. And she was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So I'm arguing with a lady and a computer at the same time. And I was like, you need to go talk to your supervisor. And she was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And so after like four or five minutes on hold, um, we ordered Domino's. And so I got on Twitter. And I I said like, at Pizza Hut, they have an account. And I was like, you're very bad at this thing you do. Right? I was like, this is not a good experience. Um, and now I'm a vegetarian. You did that to me. And so anyway, like I, uh, so, so I sent them a message and complained, right? And so they sent a message back and we're like, we're really sorry. Fill out this form or whatever. I just want free pizza. Let's just be honest. So anyway, um, why didn't I just call? Like, why didn't I just call and talk to a supervisor? I don't want to do that, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to a person, right? Like, we're, we are not a culture confrontation. If I can hide behind technology, hey, I'm right. You're not going to see me anymore, right? Like, I was right behind, te- like, on Twitter, I was just like, you're the worst, right? But if I had been on the phone with a supervisor, I'd have been like, I'm, I'm rather, I'm rather upset, sir, right? Like, it would have been completely different. We're not a culture of confrontation. We're very, very passive, and, and we do this, right? We, we gossip um, when, when, there's, when someone sinned against us. We go to somebody else and say, I just, you know what? I don't need to confront them. I just need to talk about it. I just need to get it out. I just need to process my feelings, and really, it's just another way of gossip or even slander, right? Anyone done this prayer request? Would you pray for Jim? He's a jerk, like, he is just a jerk. We just need to pray, Lord, remove his jerkiness, right? And, and so, like, we do that or we hold a grudge. And here's the reality. The Lord pursues you, so you pursue your brother and your sister. Remember your goal. What's your goal? Look at verse 15. You've gained your brother. Our goal is, to, is restoration. So if that's true, then method matters. Method matters. It's not just, well, I tried. Method matters matters okay number one make it in private between you and him alone you're more likely to gain a brother or sister if you protect if they feel like they're respected and and protected from embarrassment all right so so privately address them um and also do it in love what does that mean well first corinthians 13 tells us love is patient so you have to be patient it tells us love is kind your words have to be kind love isn't rude right the word tells us that we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So you, so you have to hear them out. And you have to be patient while you hear them out. And you say, Grant, literally you said many, many crazy, impossible things. This has got to be number one on the list. This is very difficult. I don't for a second uh, pretend that this is not incredibly difficult. So don't head into confrontation lightly. 
There's some of us who will. We'll run head first into confrontation and just be like, hey, we got, to, we got something going on, right? No, this is a holy thing you're doing. Remember this. This is a holy thing. So treat it that way. Seek the Lord's wisdom. Ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you as you, as you head towards a confrontation. And I want to say this, side note, this works more than not. It's just rarely tried. It, it works way more than it doesn't work. It's just rarely tried. Private confrontation, the second collective confrontation, verse 16. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, so bring other believers with you. Believers, believers, you hear me? Bring other believers with you. This is a family deal. This is not for people outside of the family. Bring other believers with you uh, to validate your charge. Now, that doesn't mean that they were there when the offense happened, but but if you're bringing, if you're saying this is how they've sinned against me, then other brothers and sisters might say to you, well, that's, that's not at all true. That's not them sinning against you. That's just, you don't, your preference is different, right? Or they will come with you and they'll validate your charge. And they'll say, no, that is, that is sin. That is wrong. That is something that needs to be repented of. And this comes from a guideline in Deuteronomy. And the wisdom behind it is ridiculous. It's like, the Lord holds wisdom for some reason. This, it's so wise. Listen to this. Now, I think there, there, there are different reasons why it's wise. Number one, it doesn't let you drop it. It doesn't let you drop it. You can't say, well, agree to disagree, right? No, the Bible says, no, 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 don't do that. If you walk away at odds, go get brothers and sisters and come back. You can't just drop it. Because to drop it is what? You don't really drop it. What do you do? You just grow resentment. That's what you do. So it doesn't let you drop it. The second thing is it brings family validation. Your brothers and sisters can support that a wrong has been committed and repentance is needed. It takes the he said, she said out of it, right? Um, so so they can say, like, like let's say, for example, a brother has slandered you or could be described as a slanderer or, or a gossip. And you confront them and they say, hey, you know what? I'm just joking, man. I'm just joking. Or, hey, you know what? I, I didn't send you. I just like to talk. You know how I am. It's not a big deal and other brothers and sisters can come to come to them and say no, no no this really is an offense this really is something that you need to repent of and thirdly it, it reminds of family consequences it reminds the offending party that you know what your decision your behavior that hurt this person it it has it has a far uh, uh far reaching consequences further than than you probably imagined right it shows that look we're all connected in this body together the the bible calls us the body of christ we're all connected in this body together and so this has family consequences don't don't try to sweep this under the rug this can hurt us too it kills that vacuum mentality that my faith is in a vacuum no 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 we're connected and fourthly it reminds of family support not just the offended party but to the offender it shows you know what look i take this seriously because i take your joy seriously i want you to repent of this i want you to move past this because i want you to experience the fullness of joy in christ and i love you man i want us together i don't want anything to hinder our relationship it's 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 a it's an incredibly wise thing so private confrontation collective confrontation then corporate confrontation verse 17 if he refuses to listen then tell it to the church. The church would be the leadership in the church. I don't think it means like stand up here and be like, uh, yeah, John, he's a, he's a jerk and he won't listen to me. What are we going to do about it, right? Let's get a posse. Who's in for a posse, right? And so I think it means the leadership of the church because it says if he refuses to listen, uh, are we all going to talk to him, right? So I think it does mean the, the leadership of the church. And we've had confrontations at Christ Church come to this level where it's come to the elders of the church and said this person is unrepentant and 
we need to do something about it. And praise God, sometimes the confrontation of the elders has resulted um, in them in restoration. And also, praise God, sometimes it's resulted um, in separation, which is the fourth step. Jesus gives us separation. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Gentile and tax collector is just synonymous with the unbeliever, someone outside of the family of God, and they're excluded from the fellowship of the church. This has absolutely happened here before. Someone was unwilling to repent, yield to the, the Lord's wisdom and the, the scripture, and, and we had to treat them like a tax collector. We had to take their membership away, and they became like guests. They became like outsiders. They're no longer family. And this is serious, and you might say, how can you do such a thing? How in the world can, can you take confrontation to this extreme? How can you do such a thing? I'm assuming if you asked how, that you mean truly, like, how on what authority can you do this? And, and secondly, you probably mean, why would you even do this? Well, guess what? I'll answer both. Number one, how on what authority? Look at verse 17 through 19. Jesus answered him, um, or excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 17 through 19. Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus gives authority in his church to his followers. What did he say? Peter, on you I'm building my church, right? So on his disciples, he's, he's passing that authority uh, on to us. Look at verse 19. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, meaning the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is yours to open to people through the preaching of the gospel. I'm going to give you that that authority. You can preach the gospel, right? And it, it extends in verse 19. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Remember the context. He's saying, I give you the ability to exercise authority in the church. Bind and loose in Hebrew means forbidden and allowed in that Hebrew culture. So, so I'll give you the ability to, to forbid and to allow things in the church. What is that? That's discipline. When you, when you forbid something, when you allow something, that's, that's bringing discipline in. That's bringing guidance in. That's exercising authority. So ultimately, the authority is under Jesus. It says, shall be loosed in heaven. So it can't be contradictory to heaven. Uh, but his disciples have authority to discipline in the church now. And an example of Peter binding in the church, look at 1 Corinthians 5. I think we have it. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 5. Listen to this. Peter says, it's actually reported, or Paul says, it's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So, so they're saying, this is in the church, and you're allowing them to do this. And he says, are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. What's he doing? Binding. It's forbidden. For though absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. So in Matthew 18, 18, Jesus is simply uh, passing on that authority to the, the, the extended community of believers. Verse 18, Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven remember the context is the message 
I've heard this passage in this specific scripture used out of context so many times. And this verse directly in context is, is directly surrounded talking about what? Exercising discipline and authority in the body of believers. And I've heard it used for everything. I've heard it used for, for people claiming healing. And, and they say, whatever you bind on earth, I bind this illness. I've heard it used for, for blessings, right? Whatever you loose on earth, right? I want this blessing. Give me this blessing. Well, I, I'm praying for it, so I, I loose this thing. I allow this thing, right? That's out of context. This ignores the immediate context. It also ignores the context of the rest of Scripture. This can't possibly be true. First John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He doesn't give us a blank check to bless ourselves with, right? It's not responsible. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. What does he say? Look, if I gave you a blank check, you wouldn't even use it right. You don't even know how to pray all the time. But what does he say? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. God says, I know what's best for you. So I'm going to do what's best for you. Not to even mention even Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Let this cup pass from me, right? What does he say? But Not my will, but yours be done. So again, the context is the message. Verse 18 is about that. It's about extending God's authority to, to the community of believers to exercise discipline. So our authority, uh, again, comes from God. He continues to illustrate that. Verse 19. Again, I say to you, if, you two, uh, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So verse 19, don't remove it from context, all right? Don't say, hey, if two or more agree on earth, earth, then he'll do whatever I ask, right? My wife and I definitely agree that a billion dollars would be awesome, right? Like, that's there's two of us. We agree. I'm on earth, right? Loose it, God. Let's do this thing, right? Right? But that's out of context. God's saying, I'm going to honor your unified decision and discipline and authority in the church. I'm giving you this authority, and I'm going to honor it. I'm going to honor, honor your unified decision. And look at verse 20. He says, where two or three gather my name, there am I among them. Does this mean, I've heard this taken out of context, does this mean that if you're by yourself, God isn't there? Right? Well, two or three, I'm so alone, right? No, what's it saying? He's saying, look, I'm going to bless the work of reconciliation with my presence. Will it be easy? No, but I'm going to be there with you. If that's why you're together, if you're working through this difficult thing, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be right there with you. It's an incredible promise. So that's the first how, where this authority come from. And the second, you're probably wondering, more than the first why would we do this why in the world would we do this number one a benefit to the church it protects her unity and and her fidelity to the lord first corinthians 5 6 when when uh, uh paul makes that says you need to get that guy out you need to you need to uh, uh to give him over to satan for the destruction of his flesh right you need to get him out of here he says, he follows it up with this in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? To not deal with sin seriously is to suffer serious consequences. If we allow it in the body of Christ, it's going to grow and grow and grow and cause more and more and more consequences. Um, on Sunday mornings, uh, I like to watch CBS Sunday Morning. I, I really, really love um, that show. Anybody else? Anybody else with me? Excellent, excellent. One person. Okay, anyway, all right, yeah, CBS this morning, fantastic. I love watching that. I don't, I don't know what it is. Every time I watch it, Angelo comes in and goes, how old are you? But I don't know. I love it. I love CBS this morning. And they did a, a story. It was a couple of years ago. They re-ran it recently. 
and it was about um, invasive species. Um, and there was a guy in the 1890s who was a huge fan of Shakespeare. And so every bird, every species of bird that was in, he was an American, every species of bird that was in anything Shakespeare ever wrote, he wanted it to be in America as well, right? Crazy, right? But one of the things he did, he, he did that. He brought every bird over here. And one of them was a starling in 1890. Do you know how many starlings are in America now? 200 million are in the U.S. now. They grew and they grew and they grew and they grew. And now they're becoming a problem, right? There's 200 million of them. The same thing with our sin. If we allow it in the body of Christ, it will multiply and multiply and it will change the culture of our church and multiply and multiply. So one day we'll look around and go, how did this happen? So it protects her unity and fidelity. It also protects her mission. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Our unity and love for one another literally shows the world that, that what Jesus says about love is true. That who Jesus is, is true. We're literal examples. We're literally the light through our love for one another, right? We're literally the city on a hill for our love for one another. So it protects her mission when we protect our unity with these benefits for the church, why do we avoid confrontation like this? Multiple reasons. Membership numbers, right? We, we want a lot of people in here. It's disheartening when I stand up here and there's empty seats, right? I want all the people in here I can. But you know what? We're not a club. Clubs are dead. You can join a club and however you act in that club, right? Who cares as long as you're a member? Pay your dues, right? Everything else, I don't care how you act. I, the, the club's not going to feel anything based on how you're how you're acting as a member, right? The club's not going to feel that. It's dead. We're not a club. We're a church, and churches are alive, and churches feel pain, and churches get sick, and churches die. There are serious consequences for our church when we let sin run amok. We worry about community reputation. How awesome would that feel like? Right? How, how great would that response be in, in the city of Bartlett if someone leaves and said, man, that church kicked me out, right? Christ Church Bartlett kicks people out, right? We worry about that. But forget that. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So there's great benefits to the church, but there's benefits also to the rebellious one. What's the goal of removing the person from the fellowship of the church? Go back to 1 Corinthians 5, five. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That sounds harsh. That doesn't sound loving. Check this out. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You remove him from the fellowship and the benefits of the fellowship of the body of Christ so that maybe he'll wake up and realize where he is. He needs this. You need this for his restoration. It's the same reason why do parents turn their backs on their children who are addicts? For their love, right? For their own good. If the goal of restoration is this, this is a worthy goal, right? This is an incredible goal that they would be restored. Why don't we do it? Well, we're afraid. We're embarrassed. We, we get angry. Maybe, maybe we're prideful. Maybe we, we judge them. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. But if our example is love, then we want to exemplify Jesus. Then we need to exemplify his love. And love does not rejoice at wrongdoings, according to 1 Corinthians 13. So love rejoices with truth. And to avoid confrontation isn't loving. That's rejoicing with their wrongdoing. That's saying, no, 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 I'm good. I'd rather you, you just go ahead. You keep messing up. I'm good over here, right? This is nice, right? 
That's rejoicing with wrongdoing. But confrontation is loving because it rejoices with truth. It's confronting them with truth. I'd like to conclude with this. I love um, Peter so much. In the Bible. I, I love Peter. And one of the reasons I love Peter so much is he says things and does things that I think I would have done, right? I don't know if I ever would have gotten out of that boat when, when Jesus was walking on the water. I don't, I don't think so. The Bible would have read very differently if, if I was Peter. And Jesus walked up on the water and Peter soiled his tunic, right? Like it would not have worked. I would not have gotten on that water. But, but Peter says so many things I think I would say and he thinks so many things I think I would think. So Peter's listening to Jesus and he's talking about confrontation and restoration and, and it's a lot of work, right? This is, I didn't just like, like what we just read today is not just a happy Jesus thought that we can walk away and be like, confrontation is nice, right? Like it's, it's some work. And so, so he's sitting here listening to this and I imagine Peter is feeling the same thing I was feeling when I was reading it. He's going, oh, oh, that's a lot of work, Jesus, right? And then look at what he says in verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What's Peter saying? How many times do I have to go through this? How many times am I going to have to deal with this before I can go straight to step four? You know what I mean? Like how many, can, can, do I really have to forgive him and then seek restoration? Or can we just like, that's separation. There's a ring to that. I think you're on to something, Jesus, right? Let's go with that. See, how many times? How many times can my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? Please give me that number because I've already got like, like James over here, he's got three on me right now. So if you tell me three, separating today, all right? How many times? What does Jesus say in verse 22? I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, what's he saying? You forgive them as many times as they need it. You forgive them as many times as they need it. He goes on to tell a parable about us being forgiven by the Lord. How many times? As many times as we need it. So we who've been forgiven so much must forgive so much, right? We're going to uh, close differently than we normally do. Um, normally we, we have a response song and we come up and we sing a chorus and then whatever and I say goodbye, thanks for being here and, you know, whatever. I do a curtsy, whatever. Here's how I'd like to close today. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And, and, and what I want you to do is, is I want you to stop and just think as we pray and just, just reflect and, and just think like, Lord, have I, have I pursued my, my brother, my, my, my brothers and sisters, or have I despised them? And, and just stop and think and then just ask the Lord, what do you want me to do about it? You've given me these guidelines. What do I do about it, right? Maybe some of you, like, that's, the, praise God, your relationships are solid. Praise God, you, you, you haven't despised your brother or sister. Just ask that the Lord would, would help you burn these guidelines into your heart so that your first response is love and not to despise when someone wrongs you because they will. And if they won't, I will, all <laughs> right? We're a family. We're not perfect. We will. And some of you in this room, maybe as I've talked about the sheep gone astray, you're like me, completely me. Well, could you do this today? Return, man. Return to the Lord. What are you waiting on? What in the world are you waiting What on the world could be more important than returning to the Lord today? Than turning back to Him? It, acknowledging that you've run away from Him? And knowing that in your turning, 
not only will you be accepted, but he will rejoice over you. So many times I think we're afraid to return to the Lord because we think that, that he's been doing this the whole time when he gets back here. Oh, man. Oh, he's going oh, to get it. But this picture we have of our Father is what? He rejoices. He delights in your obedience. It's a great picture in the scriptures of a son returning to his father after he wished he was dead. And the father wasn't standing there, oh, waiting for this day. The father runs, forgets, forgets what he's supposed to do, forget what, it's, what it looks like. He runs and he falls on his son. If you're that sheep today, the Lord pursued you. He pursued you here. He brought you here. Would you return to him? Just, just ask for his forgiveness. Trust in his love for you. And he will wrap his arms around you and rejoice. And all of heaven will rejoice. What are you waiting on? Return. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to go. And, and I hope that if, if the Lord prompts you to, um, to return to him, I'm, I'll be in here. I'll, I'll wait around. You come talk to me. If, if the Lord prompts you to, to, for restoration, maybe you need to make it right with a brother and sister, go do it. Say, but I have Sunday school. Come on, go do it. Go make it right. So I'm going to pray for us, and then, then we're going to go and just be faithful what the Lord is calling us to. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. This um, passage, Lord, I, I remember reading it in preparation um, for this series, and I went, Lord, I don't know, I have no idea what to do with this. It's so far above me. But Holy Spirit, thank you for your faithfulness that you gave us understanding today, that you spoke to us today. So Lord, if there are my brothers and sisters in this room, if, if we've despised our brothers and sisters by not pursuing reconciliation, Lord, would we be faithful to what you've called us to and may we remember your motivation. You've called us to do this for your glory and for our joy. It's for our good you've called us to bring restoration and to pursue it. And Lord, if there are people in here who stray sheep is their middle name right now, may their guilt or shame or whatever they feel or whatever distractions in their life, may that not keep them from returning to you today. And then I keep them from saying, yeah, I've been far away. But Lord, you're not. And I'm going to return to you. Forgive me and restore me. And may they know that that will bring such great joy to you. You're not waiting to punish them or to hurt them. You're waiting to bless them and to love them. So... Lord, may we be faithful to what you've called us to do. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.